to our scripture reading, we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we begin reading at verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these 
word. So far we read from the, from the Holy Scriptures, and the text we consider tonight consists of verses 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Dearly beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, this section, the second half, as it were, of this epistle to the Thessalonians, in this section that we have right here in chapter 4, we have instruction on how we ought to walk and to please God. That's what we read in verse 1. We exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, that's what this section is about, and also an exhortation, so ye would abound more and more. How we are to walk and to please our God out of love for him, out of thankfulness for our salvation. And there are different points that are brought up in this section. There's the fact that we're to preserve our body pure and holy. We read about that. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And there's an important section on that concerning how we are to walk and to please God, that we're not to be like those of the world, like the Gentiles which know not God. And that we see the blatant acts of fornication that take place in our own day and how much it is promoted on every side. That we're not to walk like those that do not know God. Bodies and souls are temples of the Holy Spirit. They're to be preserved pure and holy. We see that in this chapter. And then we see reference to how we're to love one another and how we're to love one another fervently. In verse 9, it says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. So he says, you are, you do love one another. Even says, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, in all the region. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase. So he's not saying to them that they aren't loving, but he's exhorting them to increase more and more. And it's in that section that he brings up the words of the text that we consider tonight about us diligently working. 
It says, and ye study to be quiet, to do your own, do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Do your own business. Work with your own hands and be diligent in that work that ye may walk honestly towards those that are, them that are without, those that are outside the fellowship, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing or be in need of no one. And that God's name may be praised, that this is part of the section on how we ought to walk and please God. And that we're to look for the grace that we may grow that we may be diligent in the work to which our Lord has called us. I make a reference to this also from the point of view that looking at this book from the viewpoint of mission work, I've been studying in the first and second Thessalonians, which is believed to have been one of the first less, uh, epistles that Paul wrote. First Thessalonians thought to be one of the first, if not the first, of the epistles that Paul wrote. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica, a church that was visited by him, the saint that he went to Thessalonica in his second missionary journey with Silas. And then we read there is this church that is, that is, that is formed, and we read of the, some of the difficulties that they faced in the work there. And one of the things we take note of when we read First and Second Thessalonians is we see the, how the Apostle Paul, guided by the Spirit, addressed a young congregation. And what were some of the issues that he dealt with when he was there on, in the mission field, when he was personally there, and when he wasn't there, what issues he brought up in his letters. And one issue that he brought up is that there was a problem with some that they weren't working. And he brings it up in 1 Thessalonians. He brings it up and he says, we brought this up when we were there. He brings that up in verse 11, as we commanded you. In other words, we talked to you about this. Everybody's to be doing their own work, working with their own hands, as we commanded you. We talked to you about that when we were there. And now we're exhorting you with regard to that. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he starts to express in more detail what was going on. Because he hears it's the case that there are some that are still not working. They're busybodies. They're working not at all. And so he makes a reference to that. So it's good to take a look at some of the points that are mentioned and to recognize that this is a problem that you can run into in the mission field today too. That there would be some who aren't working as they're supposed to be. And that that needs to be addressed. And the, same, and the epistle speaks about exhorting such people. Yeah, we can also apply that each one of, to each one of us in that one of us hears the calling that we're all to be busy in doing our own work. Or we have a tendency to be finding fault with others that we think are not doing what they should be doing. 
And we all have to examine ourselves whether I'm diligently doing the work to which I am called. That I'm working hard at it. And that I'm striving to grow. To glorify God in the work that I do. And we're looking now specifically at the work that we're doing in the work week. For example, the man that goes out into the workplace diligently working as God has commanded him. And looking at the students in the school as we've begun a new school year, that we be working diligently in that work as God has called us to do. When it says here, as we have commanded you, it also say as God has called us to work diligently as to the Lord. God's given us work to do, and that work may change at different times of our life. Or the work in the home, and the mother in the home, and God's given her work to do. To do it faithfully, to do it cheerfully, to do it diligently. As to the Lord, out of thankfulness, we want to show our love. And this is connected to the previous, the previous verses is talking about love. That this shows love. Love for God. Love for God's people. We're to diligently be involved in our work. Showing our love for our God. For our Savior. Thankful for the redemption we have in Christ. Imitating our Lord Jesus. Who did what the Lord, what God would have him to do. He was obedient, even unto death, even the accursed death of the cross. And as those who were his disciples were with him and saw how he was constantly doing what God would have him do, the divine and human mediator were to imitate our Lord, our Lord Jesus and show our thankfulness in all of our life, when we talk about a holy life, desiring that our lives be more holy, we see that God calls us. One of the aspects of our life is to be diligent in the work that the Lord has given us to do during the week and to show our thankfulness to our God, our love for him and for his people. We consider this passage under the theme, Diligently Working, we consider, first of all, the calling, secondly, the goal, and then thirdly, the, the love. First of all, with regard to the calling, we're to be busy always doing what God calls us to do. We're to be imitating God. We're to be imitating Christ. Call when Jesus said, My Father is working, and I am working. And we're to be diligently imitating our Lord Jesus, doing what God would have us to do. Our mind is to be on that, and we teach the children to think that way. What does would God have you to do? Looking more generally, first of all, at good works. What are good works? Those are works that are done according to the law of God. 
meaning they're what God has called us to do. They're works that proceed from faith, are done according to the law of God and to his glory. Those are good works. An unbeliever may work 80 hours a week. People may talk about the fact that he is one of the first ones at work and he works long hours, he's constantly there, yet he doesn't labor as to the Lord. He may be involved in labors on the Sabbath day that he shouldn't be. Yet others may look at him and think, wow, how he works, his work ethic. But God calls us to labor as to the Lord. And we're also called to keep the Sabbath day. We're to consider what the Lord would have us to do. Where you could have a child of God who is walking with God, who's afflicted and he's lying in the hospital bed and he is unable to get up and get out of bed. Yet as he's in his hospital bed, he's striving to glorify God as a faithful witness as he goes through each day, trusting in the Lord. And of course, we have different times in our life. We have, we have different abilities. We may have a physical affliction our whole life. But in whatever, we're, we're, in all that we do, we're to strive to show our thankfulness, our gratitude to our God. Now looking more narrowly, this passage is speaking to us about the, the calling to be working diligently to be able to provide for ourselves. That's one of the specific aspects that's being spoken of here, which is brought out when it says that you may be in need of no one. That you may be able to provide for yourself, your household, and also, as we read of elsewhere, that you'd have something to give to others. That each one is to be diligently working. And we look, of course, in the narrow sense at the man and his calling to be working, to be able to provide for his household honestly, and also have something to give. And that's a calling. And we're to be dil diligently in that work. One of the words for work in Hebrew has that idea of doing what one is sent to do. It's a term that's related to the term for angel, which has the idea of one who is sent. So you think of what God has sent or called you to do, the work that he would have us to do. Now, there was work before the fall. Before man fell into sin, there was work for him to do. Now that man has fallen into sin, he labors in the sweat of his face. And there's all sorts of difficulties that we face in work. And that's, uh, we recognize that as we go through and in any given moment, things go wrong. We have lots of difficulties as we go, things may be seeming to go relatively well for a while and then all of a sudden something happens and it's much more difficult many difficulties that we face in the workplace, many difficulties we face in the home. For since the fall, man would labor in the sweat of his face. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. The seventh day is the Sabbath. Six days shalt thou labor. And then in the age to come, there's a new heaven and a new earth. As we are with our God, then it won't be the case that there will be toil anymore. 
be no more curse. We recognize that our calling, our calling always is going to be to work, to do what God calls us to do. To look at it from that point of view, to do what God calls us to do. To ask, what would the Lord have us to do? And to be diligently doing what we're sent to do. Now, it specifically makes a reference to working with our hands. Working with our hands. It says, to do your own business, to work with your own hands. Working with your hands. We often call that manual labor. Manual has the idea of over-relating to or involving the hands. That's what manual means. So we often call it that, manual labor. And virtually all labor involves the hands in one way or another, even if one is often on the computer typing, or if one is writing. There's so many different activities that when we're doing work, we're so often using our hands. Of course, some people don't have hands. There's a variety of different kinds of work. But we recognize that what's being referred to here is all kinds of legitimate work. Work to which the Lord calls this person or that person to be engaged in. It also brings out that we're not to view manual, what is often called as manual labor, as degrading. Different individuals will have different work to which they are called. They'll have different abilities that they are to use in the workplace and to be diligent in that work, striving to improve in the work, whatever the work is that they are doing, provided that is a legitimate job that for a person to have, to be is working hard at it. Even if it's the case that we have plenty of funds ourselves, even if it's the case, for example, if somebody inherited a large inheritance and said, I have so much, I don't even need to work. But we still have work to do. We're not only to provide for ourselves. We also are to work, we to labor that others may have what they need as well. To have, to give to others as well. And that's a calling, and that's a calling that one could, that's a subject that may very well come up in the work of missions. Where you're out in the mission field, and you're laboring among the saints, and you're giving instruction to them, but they are during on the Lord's Day, say, and perhaps during the week when you gather together to study the scriptures, but then you're also noticing their day-to-day -day life. And you notice that there are some that aren't, that are able to work, but they're not. And this is what we're, we're talking about those that, and this subject here is those that are unwilling to work. That's an important point. Not talking about somebody that physically is unable to do an activity. But it's talking about those that are unwilling to work. And that becomes clear. In the passages, when you put the passages together, and it specifically makes reference to those that are unwilling to work. There may be work available, but they really don't feel want to do it. They're unwilling to. And you start to notice that and bring out the import that is important that they be busy at work. 
That's an activity that they're to be engaged in. And that's what is being brought up here. And he indicates that he noticed that when he was there. So he was taking note in Silas. They're taking note of things they see in the daily life of the people. And making a reference to some of these things. And saying, now there's some that aren't, that aren't working. We're to be working with our own hands as God has commanded us. God has commanded us. They had commanded that, but they, when they were bringing the command, when they were commanding them, what they were bringing was the word of God. They were saying, this is what God calls us to do. And then he says to the church a little later, warn them that are unruly. And he's speaking, these people that are, that are not working, they, those would be referred to as those who are unruly who are rebelliously idle. You see that in the next chapter, in chapter 5, verse 14, when it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And he also says, Comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak. Be patient toward all. But we're looking here specifically at the fact that he says, Warn the unruly. And then that word, you have it in one place, it's in an adjective form, and in another place it says an adverb, but the same term, the same idea, comes up in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 3, you start to see in verses 10 to 12, you start to see that he starts to, to use some strong language. Because he's hearing that this, this problem is continuing. You talked about it when you were there, and now he's, write, he's written his first letter, and now he's writing his second letter, and it indicating that this is going on. These, these, it's been brought to them, but they're not, they're not working. And in the second letter, it says, For even when we were with you, this is verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians 3, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, and again he brings up that he talked about it when he was there, that if any would not work, and that literally that is, if any is unwilling to work, neither should he eat. That's what he says. If he's unwilling to work, he shouldn't eat. And then he says, for we hear, and it brings out why he's bringing this up, we hear that there are some which walk on, among you disorderly. And there the word that in 1 Thessalonians was translated unruly is here the same word, now, now an adverb here, but it's the same root, disorderly. We hear there are some which walk among you disorderly, rebelliously idle, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them which are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So you see the, you see the idea as you put it together. And you see how that's related to the text we're considering when it says study to be quiet and to do your own business. Later on he says we're exhorting you that with quietness they work and eat their own bread 
bread because they were working out all their busy bodies. They need to be doing their own work and eating their own bread. That's the issue. And as you see that and you think, okay, this is teaching us that this is an issue in missions too, one would not be surprised to find. And of course, you can find it in churches still today. You can apply it to all of us. You can apply it to child rearing. You can have a child. You can have some children that when there's work to be done, they're very quick to be right with you working. And you can have others that that's not the case. In fact, you can have others that kind of sense there's going to be work that needs to be done. They can kind of see it coming. Something's uh, that uh, as to what's happening, they're anticipating that either mother or dad is about to ask me to do something, and they try to find a way to be able to be not around. Or if work has to start and others are starting, they try to find ways to be the last one to get started. And then once they're working, they're not really working all that diligently. And as soon as you're starting to get closer to being in, then they start to want to quit. Why? Well, I, I thought we were. I thought we were done. We're going to be like the first one to quit. And then you can talk to them. You get to the point where you start talking to them about the fact they're not working diligently at the work, looking for reasons not to work. They're slow to work when. They could work at a much more rapid place, but the very pace, but they're doing it, they're very slow to do something. It's one thing if a person is slow because they're having difficulty at an activity. It's another thing if it's because they're unwilling to work. And that's what we're talking about. Not wanting to. They don't want to. They'd rather not work. They'd rather find ways to have somebody else do the work. And we can see this in, in our homes. You can have a child that grows up that way, finding ways to have other people do the work. You can have schoolwork where there's group activity, and you can find those that are, that when there's a group activity, they're busy working with the others, trying to work together, or you can do this, you do that, and others that are, are more inclined to let the other ones kind of do it and kind of let them take the lead and not be using their gifts as, as they ought to do. They may have the book open when they're supposed to be studying, but they're not really studying all that well. They're not really paying attention when they read or whatever their activity is. So we can easily apply this to our home. We can apply it to our schools. You can apply it to the church. You can have people that join a church hoping that others will be able to provide for them. Today, with modern means, it's easy to write emails and try to get as many, make contact with as many churches as possible and see if you can get other people to be able to assist you financially. Now, a lot of places do have financial needs. That's one thing. We do recognize that. That is, and it's an issue that we seek to deal with rightly. We do see the need of our brothers and sisters who are diligently working and do have needs we see their needs, we want to assist them. But we're talking about those that it would be, they'd be glad to just let other people help them and provide for them and not working to the degree that they, that they ought, that they could. You could have people go from kind of church to church trying to get other people to help them. And they can get kind of good at doing that. 
from a certain point of in the in the, you know the wrong sense of the word, in the sense that they are really what they're doing is taking advantage of other people until they find until they find that other people are recognizing that they're taking advantage of them and maybe they'll go to another church and start it all over again. It's important that we be diligently working. That is what God has called us to do. Many don't desire to work. Many consider work to be a drudgery. They love pleasures, especially today. There are many that are lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. And they would try to do anything to get out of working. They may quickly punch in and then be very slow to get to work. They may be communicating with others when they're not supposed to be communicating with others, using their devices during the workplace, in the workplace, or working with eye service, just working when the boss is walking, watching and then quickly not doing what they're supposed to do. We're to admonish such, the Bible says. Admonish the unruly. And we're to teach the importance of diligent work teaching our children about that, warning about re uh, rejecting this commandment, and also teaching them that it's important that they work with the proper motivation, with the proper goal. And we look at that now. We look specifically now at the goal. When we're working, when we're diligently working, why? Many would do it for the wrong reason. As was mentioned, there are those that may be hard at work. There are maybe others that people look on in amazement at what they accomplish. And they're very diligent in the, from a certain point of view at the work that they do. But they're working to get riches to be able to spend on themselves. Or they're working for the praise of men. They may think they have an opportunity to get the praise of men. And they may be zealous to get up in the day and to be involved in whatever activity it is because they're envisioning that if they get really good at this, that people will notice and they'll get the praise of men and that excites them and they're excited to get up in the morning to get to work. They have the wrong motivation or to show themselves to be successful so other people will look on and look at his success or her success. To be able to show themselves that they're successful. Or there may be those that would go to the workplace from the viewpoint that their personal life is a life that there's such misery in their own personal life that, well, they'd just rather go off to the workplace rather than being at home and dealing with all the problems that there are there. Rather off, better off just being at work and staying long hours there. Really don't want to go home. Our goal, of course, is always to be glorifying our God. That's our goal. Now, we teach the children that. And it's important for our children to hear that, too. Some, our children will often say, rightly so, that... They're to work to the best of their ability. And I think the children here would acknowledge that that's something that you know, they often hear. Whatever you do, 
Do it to the best of your ability. And that's true. It's good to add something to that, and that is to do it as to the Lord. That carries with it an added idea that when we work, we're doing it as to our God. We're doing, it brings out the idea of gratitude. It brings out the idea that we're not our own. We're not our own. We belong to our Savior who's redeemed us. We're to do it as to him. And maybe we have somebody who's, who's our boss, who sometimes is, is hard for us to deal with and sometimes treats us in ways that we think he, he or she ought not. But we keep our mind on the fact that we're laboring as unto the Lord, to the Lord. We're to work heartily from the soul, from the heart, with singleness of heart, with one goal. And what is our goal? We want to do what pleases God. How we ought to walk and to please God. We want to do that. As those know, who know that we've been reconciled to God. That Christ has reconciled us to God. And that we have salvation and we will always be with our God. As those who are thankful for that, we want to show our thankfulness, our love to him. We want to show it whether we're in the workplace or at home or wherever we are in the school or wherever we are. So our goal is the glory of God. Now specifically, there's some things mentioned in this passage. That ye may walk honestly towards them that are without now that has the idea, those that are without are mentioned, those outside the church. That we may walk honestly towards them. That brings out that the idea is that others watch what we do. People watch to see how we work. And if we work amidst those of the world or amidst those of different backgrounds, there may be a variety of people. There may be somebody that doesn't go to church at all. Another person may go to this church. Another person may go to that church. There may be quite a variety of people that we work with. It's good for us to be a good example, for others to see our example. They're going to notice how we work, what we do, and how we treat others, whether we're working like they are, where you're just kind of watching to see what others, when you're being watched, or if you're diligently laboring doing what you're called to do, delighting to do it. We're to keep in mind the importance of us being a good example, a godly witness. And then also it mentions that ye may have need of no one. That ye may have lack of nothing has that idea, that ye may have be in need of no one. That you're not looking to others to do, provide for you when you are able to do it yourself. Now we understand there are times when somebody could use help and we try to talk to them about let us help you. There are times like that in the church where someone is slow to receive help and we say look we want to help you. We see your need and we want to help. Let us help you. We delight to be able to help you. 
and that it's good for someone when they say that they, they will receive help and that that's good. But there's others. We're looking at a different issue here of those that would let others just do things for them and provide for them when they're able to do the work themselves and be able to provide for themselves. And that's what's being talked about here. That you may be in need of no one, that you can provide for yourself. Or, as was mentioned in Ephesians 4, verse 28, when it says, that when let him who is stolen steal no more, rather let him labor, working with his hands. This is Ephesians 4.28. Again, the same idea, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give that him that to give to him that needeth. So he not only has what he needs himself, but he has something to give to others that need, so that he looks for opportunities to be able to assist others in their need. That's, that's what God calls us to do, and that's what is we glorify God when we are uh, doing this, even as the Lord tells us, and we are to keep that in mind, the things that is mentioned specifically in this passage. There's another aspect of what's mentioned here too, and that is that we do our own work. That's, that's in here too. Doing our own work, minding our own business, as we often say. Study to be quiet and do your own business. Doing your own, keeping in mind what we're to do. The second Thessalonians said there were those that were working not at all. What were they doing? They were, bus they were busybodies, is what they were. They were busybodies. 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, gives another example of that. It speaks of the danger of some women learning to be idle, Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Notice how it goes with being idle. And then they're speaking things which are not, ought not, and they're busybodies. That instead of working, they're now busybodies. And then over against that, God tells each one of us, now be diligent to do your own work. Some people can be quick to be finding this. Shouldn't he be doing this or shouldn't that person be doing that? Rather than each one doing his own work in the congregation and in the workplace and in the home, doing one's own work. There's to be peace. We strive for peace. Another person may do it that they may desire that they be quiet. Study to be quiet. Study, that's an interesting word, too. Study to be quiet and to do your own business. Now, that word study has the idea of considering it an honor or having as one's ambition to labor in 
God's service, having as our ambition to promote peace and to do our own work and to promote peace to the glory of God. And to teach that to our children by our instruction and our example. That we teach our children this and we give our, our children an example of this. So that our children not only tell them, we not only tell them about the importance of them diligently working, but that they see that in mom and dad. That they have work to do and they do it cheerfully. Without murmuring and complaining, they do it cheerfully. They do it patiently. And they're delighting to do what is pleasing to God. They want to show their thankfulness to God, their love for God, so that they're not only teaching the children, but they're also showing them, not only by words, but by their example of how they should labor and how they should work faithfully in the calling to which God has given them. We see the importance of Christian in education both from the viewpoint of the content of the instruction that they receive in our schools, but also in the, in the form of the example that they see set before them. We're so thankful to God for our schools. And we desire in the home and in our schools and in the church for our children to see how we work together, that we work and we work together, each one doing their own work, yet also working together enjoying working together, enjoying helping and assisting one another, thankful for others' abilities, and thankful for the, the privilege of being able to work together with those of like faith and striving to work together quietly. We desire there to be peace, unity, <coughs> communion, and lastly, we look at it from the viewpoint of this shows love. Maybe it doesn't immediately strike us that the diligent work is a manifestation of love. But that's what the section here brings up, that it shows love. Brotherly love. Brotherly love means we delight in other people. We delight in our brothers and sisters. We seek their good. We love them, we seek their good. We prevent their hurt as much as in us lies, as we considered this morning. That shows love. A person is not showing love when they're not working. When they're being a busybody, that's not showing love for, for God and his people. Spiritual mindedness, that one is spiritually minded, that one has a genuine love for God and his people. You see that in their in one way that's manifested is that they diligently labor as to the Lord. So the love for God. We love God. We show our love for God loving his people. 
We love him who first loved us. God has shown us his love. You don't doubt that God loves you. You know he loves you. God has infused into you a consciousness of his love. That's a phrase that's in the Canons of Dort, the third and fourth head, air number six. It says that, you know, in, in addition to refuting various errors, there's also positive statements and quoting of scripture in the rejection of error set. And one of the things that it says in the Canons of Dort, third and fourth head, air six, is that God infuses into us faith, obedience, and the consciousness of his love into our hearts. How is it that I know that God loves me? How is it that you know that, that you don't have doubt about that? Well, God has infused that into your heart. You know he loves you. The love of God hath been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit which he hath given us. Romans 5, verse 5, that's quoted in that section. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. We know he loves us, and we love him who first loved us, who sent his son to die for us. Our Lord has shown us his great love for us, suffering what we deserve. And that Christ who loves us and laid down his life for us is in us. He's in you. The same Christ who loved you and us to die for you, he's in you. His spirit is in you. And the spirit works in you and in me to love one another. We also see we got a sinful nature. We're prone by nature to hate God and one another. We see that. It's true, we are prone by nature to hate one another. And that manifests itself. But by the grace of God, we are sorry for our sins. And we ask for forgiveness. And we ask for grace to show forth our love to one another in all that we do together. In fact, the Bible says here, we're taught of God to love one another. That's in this section two, and that's an interesting statement. He says, but as touching brotherly love, this is verse nine, it's right before the text here. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That, that is a quote from the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, he's talking to these saints in Thessalonica, at least many of them Gentiles. And he's quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah that says, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. Taught of the Lord. All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. And he's bringing that out here, at least from the viewpoint of being taught of the Lord. He says, you've been taught of the Lord to love one another. Now, Jesus made a reference. You recall, Jesus made a reference to that prophecy of Isaiah. In John 6, 
he said in John 6, 43, 45 rather, he says, it's written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God. Taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes unto me. Every one of us who has learned, who has heard and has learned of the Father, they come to me. And the saints are told here, you're taught of God to love one another. The love, the God who has infused into you a consciousness of his love, he, you're taught of him to love one another. He says, you need, need not that I write unto you, yourselves you're taught of God to love one another. And you are. He says, you do love one another, you really do. Indeed, you do it. And I could say that to this congregation here. You do love one another. That's very evident. You do. You're taught of God to love one another, and indeed you are doing it. You are showing love for God and for his people by the grace of God. But then you're exhorted, and I'm exhorted that we increase. That we increase more and more. Thankful for our salvation, we hear that this promise to God's people, whether in the old dispensation, here a promise that's recorded in the old dispensation is applied to the saints in the new dispensation, reading that, bringing out that we're all one people. We're the people of God. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, members of that holy nation that has God, Jehovah as their God. We're not to be like the Gentiles. Notice how in the context is, don't be like the Gentiles. You're members of the body of Christ, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You're one of those priests in that kingdom of priests that's holy unto God, and you are taught of God to love one another. And you do. Look to God for the grace to increase. We beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And then you, you and I apply that by asking ourselves, is my love, is your love for God's people increasing? If you look over the last number of years, has your love for the people of God increased? And that's what I'm to consider, too. We're to increase more and more. Look to God for the grace that it may increase. And now, applying it to this specific area, that as we do our work during the week, we do it as a labor of love. As a labor of love. In fact, in the very beginning of this epistle, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. That's what he says at the beginning in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. That we're to be diligent at work during this week as a labor of love. Thankful to our God. Desiring to honor the name of our God. May the Lord grant us that grace in the workplace, in the church, in our schools, that in everything that we do as we get up each day, we do so with joy and zeal, 
knowing that we labor before the face of God and we want to glorify and praise his holy name. May the Lord grant us that grace and grant that grace to all his covenant people. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and our Father, we are thankful, O Lord, for thy grace and for thy mercy. Lord, grant us the grace to show love in all that we do, to be diligent in our work, cheerfully doing it, to the honor of thy name. Forgive our many sins and keep us from sin, and bless thy saints here and in all nations, for Christ's sake.